Hello and welcome to Brave Hearts Rising, a podcast dedicated to the empaths, deep feelers and dreamers of the world. I'm your host Lisa Pascoe and in these episodes we explore what it takes to create a wholehearted life, one where you thrive from the inside out. Here we value diversity, compassion, creativity and kindness because we know that the world is a brighter, more fun place to be when you are free to show up as who you truly are, not just who the world wants you to be. Thank you so much for listening. Now let's get on to today's episode. I'm so excited to share with you today's guest, Meg Kissack. She is the host of the Courage Makers podcast, Rebel Rounds, the founder of That Hummingbird Life, and is also the woman behind the wonderful artwork for Brave Hearts Rising. I've known Meg for a few years now, and she is full of life, and you are in for a treat today. We talk about what it means to choose yourself, how you are enough exactly as you are. And we also look at the stories we tell ourselves, how you can turn your weaknesses into strengths. Other topics include the moon, self-love as a political act, and that pesky voice inside our heads. So get comfortable and enjoy the show. So hello Meg and welcome. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. And thank you for being my first ever podcast guest do you know what my heart swells when you said that i'm so honored i have so much admiration for the work you do and i can't bloody wait for your podcast seriously yeah thank you i'm i'm really excited for our conversation today because if there's one thing i know it's that it is going to be nourishing inspiring and a hundred percent energizing so i'm excited for us and i'm excited for the listeners at home too part of your mission is to spark a movement of women who are choosing themselves What does it mean to you to choose yourself? Mm, I love that question. For me, choosing yourself is, it's realizing that you're worth fighting for. And I think that can come across as something that is so easier said than done. I think we all get to a part in our journey where we realize that we've been putting others first, especially as kind of women and empaths. You know, we're so used to putting everyone for ourselves and thinking that rest time is something to feel guilty about and that There's all these reasons not to do the things that we want to do and live the life that we dream of. There's so many reasons society gives us to not do those things. It's about realizing that you have value, that you're worth fighting for. And I suppose everybody listening at home can probably relate. Yeah, it's not an easy journey to get through because it often looks like trenching through a whole lot of shit before we choose ourselves. So choosing yourself to me looks like living without apology it looks like knowing you're worth fighting for and knowing that you have value intrinsically. So it's intrinsic value. It's not based on what you do, how you show up in the world, your job, how much money you make. You have value as you are as a person. And I think a huge part of choosing yourself is is getting to the point where you can kind of let go of what society expects you to do and make choices that you know are right for yourself. Okay, thank you. I love that. In terms of your bigger vision... What would the world look like and how would it be different if we started choosing ourselves on a daily basis? Oh, I love that. And I love this idea of us all making making all the decisions in our life based on what we know is right for us and the vision of the world that we each have. Because I think we've all got a vision of how we want to see the world. In terms of how I would see the world changing is I look back at time and I look at the history of women and how we've been oppressed and how we've been treated. To me, it's a great feminist tragedy. All of the women that we don't know about because we weren't valued as women, all of the women's creativity that was lost because women's art wasn't taken seriously and it was seen as frivolous to do that. 
you know, it makes me really sad to think of all the women whose wisdom we've lost out on generation after generation because of patriarchy. So for me, the vision I have for the world is a world where women are free to create, they are free to write their own future, to choose themselves. And ultimately, how amazing would it be to live in a world where instead of being kind of guided by the shoulds and what we think people expect us to do, we actually look within and look at how we would love to see the world and try to live the life of a woman whose autobiography we would just love to read. Yeah, no, I love that too. How are you currently choosing yourself? Everybody can possibly relate. It's really hard to take your own words of advice and medicine. I found that definitely when I'm writing, I'm most likely, it's usually writing what I need to hear. So for me, I'm currently choosing myself by leaning into uncertainty. With my business, I don't really know how things are going to pan out. And I'm very type A. I like a plan. I like to know exactly what's going to happen. I don't like uncertainty. So a huge part of that for me is having trust in myself that this is all, this is all going to work out in a way that brings me joy, that brings the world joy and is sustainable. I think sustainability is a huge one that we don't talk about in terms of when we look at our dreams because we see the kind of euphoric moments of happiness when everything's gone right. But actually 99% of the work when it comes to dream chasing is sitting down to do the work and the not so glamorous stuff. So for me, it looks like working on foundational stuff Mm-hmm. It looks like being okay that not everything's shiny all the time and actually accepting that as the truth of life and going against everything that the dream shit are living in my head wants, which is a certainty, a plan, to know how this is all going to pan out, to know that I'll, I'll be safe, I'll be able to make the money I need to, that I'll be able to live the life I want to. I think a huge part of it is grit and resilience yeah, choosing myself is continuing to do the work on the days where the voice inside my head asks me why I do it and if anybody's listening and who am I to be doing this work, all the kind of regular voices we've got, I think. That's what choosing myself looks like at the moment and it is seriously scary. It is and I know that there will be women listening to this who will completely resonate and and know what you're saying and feel what you're saying. Choosing yourself takes courage. And often it's it's almost choosing ourselves against ourselves. It's kind of a weird one, isn't it? Because often the big the person who's most critical, it's the vo- it is the voice within us, yeah, telling us who are we, you know, who do you think you are, what difference are you going to make anyway? Everyone's going to think it's terrible. Yeah, don't do it. Which is ultimately about keeping us safe, but it doesn't feel nice. No. And I know we've talked about this a lot, Lisa, in terms of blazing your own trail and doing things that haven't been done before. It's really scary when there is no model, when you want to live your life aligned to your values, because we all know blueprints don't really exist. But when we live in a world where we don't necessarily see people doing what we want to do or creating the world we want to create, and we're very much blazing our own trail and doing things differently, it takes so much, I think, resilience every single day to keep doing that work. Also, when it's really hard to explain to People who just aren't ever going to get it. Mm -hmm. The thing that I picked up that you said earlier was about the sustainability because Mm -hmm. everything at the moment, well, it feels that way anyway, is about the bigger, the brighter, the more followers that you have. For those Mm. of you that are doing your own creative projects and businesses, it's all about popularity. I think regardless of whether you have a business or whether you're in a job, it feels like the world of social media right now, everything is measured happiness everything by how many likes a picture got yeah that isn't sustainable 
for us as empaths and highly sensitive people. It's a bit like being back in high school where you don't know where you fit and you're always trying to check yourself. And I don't know about you, but we're not metrics focused people. We want to have an impact to real life people. It's not about the numbers. Yet it is so easy to be swept away thinking that's the only thing that matters. Completely. One of the big reasons behind me starting this podcast is because a lot of the women that I work with are empaths. They feel life and experience life differently to a lot of other people and so there are common struggles there mainly around like maintaining energy levels so that you feel well Mm. in yourself that you're not just being sucked dry by the day-to-day and by people around you and so that you have nothing left at the end of the day for yourself so ultimately you know you're constantly trying to top up your cup but Mm. it, it never really feels full so a big reason behind starting this podcast is about helping empaths and highly sensitive people to thrive kind of from the inside out Mm. because ultimately it's so easy as someone who feels the external world quite deeply to almost be swayed like a willow tree you know Mm. like a gush of wind comes from one way that might be you know demands from your family and that that kind of pushes you one way and then something else happens in your life and then you get pushed another way and then you get pulled this way and you're never really rooted or grounded I think that's where we see things like burnout we see high levels of anxiety because there's just this kind of frazzled energy because we feel like we need to be on it all the time and we're not giving ourselves space to really check in with ourselves and ask what do I need today this week this month to feel nourished we have lives I get that people have busy families busy families (laughs) people have families they have jobs they have businesses they have all sorts of commitments that mean you can't always just take a day however you can take five minutes you can take 10 minutes you can find a way (laughs) totally even if it's on the toilet (laughs) And I know not everyone gets peace there either if they've got little kids, but (laughs) even if it's a public toilet, I don't know. No, do you know what? (laughs) I remember in my job, in all seriousness, Mm -hmm. the toilet and the bathroom was my saviour. I hated my job and I found it really, really hard to cope. And I would just go, I'd lock the door and just stand there and just breathe. I think the toilet is a bit of a saviour for women. It definitely has been for me, I know. Because it's it's the one sanctuary and it's the one place people can't knock on the door and be like... <laughs> like you know, you can you can do whatever you like, and no one's going to question it because you just feel like I don't know. What's this really dodgy tummy? Sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we need to find a way that we can build happy, fulfilling, nourishing lives where we feel nourished and well and joyful, and you know the people around us then also feel those things because it it's a ripple effect. Yeah, you know totally if you've got a tree in your garden and it's just kind of withering and the leaves are brown and you can every time you look at it you can kind of sense that it's not really flourishing it doesn't really feel good but if you look in the garden and you see something that's just like thriving like a rose bush or something and you've got all the roses on it and it's all the leaves are green and you're just like it brings you joy mm. and so it, it's just such a fallacy that it is selfish as a woman to look after your own needs first yeah and i think the women who really worry about being selfish the fact that they're even worrying about it in the first place means that it's just it's impossible that they are being selfish because they're already thinking about other people that's definitely what i found in my experience too 
for those listening who feel guilty for putting themselves first or wanting to put themselves first, take a step back, deep breathe, and know that the people around you benefit when you're lit up, when you're rested, when you're fulfilled. Because it also teaches the people around you that it's okay to be fulfilled. And I think that's quite a powerful message. Totally. We lead by example. I've definitely found in my own life both when I do it and when other people do it, when I see other people taking good care of themselves or when I model that in my own life, there's a massive ripple effect because I think for women, it's a bit of a huge sigh of relief of, oh, that's okay. You know, oh, okay, Mm -hmm. I didn't know I had permission to do that. And I think that can be huge. And I love the idea of the willow tree and what you were saying about the garden really resonated with me because as women, I think we're expected to be this kind of thriving rose bush that that not only is thriving internally, but looks like it has all of its shit figured out on the outside. And it's just, I mean, can we just acknowledge the pressure? That's huge. It's like the rose bush is serving as a double metaphor there. So on the one hand, it like shows how when something is just thriving, it kind of, it brings joy to the people around. But on the other, the flip side, it also highlights the pressure to sometimes be like this, <laughs> to be like this flourishing rose bush you know once upon a time women stayed at home and looked after the children and then that dynamic changed completely but I don't think the other things shifted so now I see my friends who do have children who are kind of having to do a lot of emotional labor Mm. (laughs) remembering birthdays like kids parties presents you know they need to send a card to Aunt Mabel yeah and then but then they also have to like turn out look the part Mm. and and that's not to say that there aren't people out there who are supporting their female partners but just on the whole there is this pressure to to bake the kids cakes for school so no I love that about the flourishing rosebush and how you kind of framed it there as well so on the one hand it is about how something that's flourishing can bring joy to those around but on the other side actually it also illustrates how much pressure there can be to be that flourishing perfect bush I was gonna say (laughs) keep it in I love it Um, (laughs) there isn't much give for imperfection and that is exhausting because if you're already type a if you're already quite self-critical it's not like we don't put enough pressure on ourselves the issue is increasingly with social media i mean there are lots of amazing things about social media because they do connect people they they help us to you know run events and like yeah bring people together to share parts of who we are and i think particularly for me as an introvert it's really helpful to have that space to kind of show parts of my inner world to the outside but also there is the other side as with everything and it's just that unconsciously you don't realize how much stuff you're taking in yeah. and how much your brain is sorting that out into piles like you could be more like this you should be doing this and before you know it you're finding yourself comparing yourself to other people or oh she's just written a book oh I should really write a book why haven't I written a book yet rather than just going oh my god that's really amazing she's written a book I'm really excited for that person we then like turn it into a failure for ourselves Things have changed a lot in the last hundred years in terms of now we have more access to money and being able to earn our own money. Now, you know, we go out to work and just, I don't think we stop and pause as a society and realise how 
in so many ways, life has become so much harder for women. You know, I love a good metaphor. It's like we were already carrying a really heavy rucksack and now there are these huge stones being added, you know, the career and the making sure everybody's happy with that's always been one. You know, it's not like our workload gets lessened or the pressure gets taken off us. It's just like, as women, we're supposed to be able to cope with this and also shine vibrantly while we do it. And I think it's really something when we get together and we're like, actually, do you know what? This is really hard and actually admit all of our deep down fears, insecurities and vulnerabilities because it can be really hard looking at women who have got the book deal and they've also got three kids and they've got a brilliant partner and they're doing all this amazing stuff because unintentionally, I think it makes, it can, and I really mean it, it is really unintentionally. I think it can make us think, well, what are we doing wrong? Why am I finding it so hard? When really, if we're really honest, we're all kind of struggling to do everything. hundred percent. And I think what came up for me listening to you was kind of thinking about Brené Brown and the art of vulnerability and the TED talk that she did around shame mm. and how she talks about shame as being that fear of disconnection. And I think there is that part of vulnerability and like sharing what's really going on for us is there is that fear that, if they know the truth behind all of this, then maybe they won't like me anymore because maybe I won't be successful enough for them. Whatever it is that your narrative is saying in your head, mm. there is that fear that they're going to be like, ooh, at least that's something that I think that I still experience now and again. Like if I catch myself, yeah. so I'll be like, oh, what are they going to think about this? So then we keep that part hidden because there is that fear that we will be outcast a bit like it not outcast yeah it was that fear that we'll just be like on the outside a bit like at school if you're not part of the cool kids mm. you know and <laughs> I don't know about you but I don't think I've ever been a cool kid nor me <laughs> um yeah I've always had this kind of kind of weird desire to be a cool kid even though I'm not even sure I know what that is <laughs> I totally get you and as you're talking I was thinking in terms of the whole vulnerability and actually showing people who you are deep down. It made me think, so last year I did a 100-day project where I showed up on Instagram stories every day. Mm-hmm. And it was quite sobering because, and this was really vulnerable to chat about because to me, I initially thought it was about getting over my fear of video and putting myself out there more. And that was definitely the catalyst for starting that project. However, if I get really, really, really honest with myself, I know that deep down I did it because a big part of me thought, well, this is probably going to prove all of my fears, right? I'm going to show up on video. People are going to see the real me and they're going to see me as the fraud I am. And this is going to prove all of these bad things that I, that in my head I apparently think I am, you know. It was almost a self-sabotage thing of I'm going to be totally knocked down a peg because people are going to see the real me. And yet this is going to undo all the work I do because people are actually going to see what a massive failure I am. And obviously that comes from a massively, massively negative part of the brain. I, you know, but I think we have to acknowledge the things that we think deep down. And it was really sobering to me to do it and the world didn't fall apart. Yeah, no, I was uh, really inspired by that challenge because it's no easy feat to just show up in the no. world for that amount of time, particularly as an empath, I think, because it does take energy. Because there are times when I think, oh, it'd be really good to do a video right now. It takes a lot of energy to do that. It's yeah. a bit like starting the engine of a plane. It's that takeoff takes up the most amount of energy. So yeah, it's striking that balance, I think, in life between kind of showing up fully as you but also acknowledging 
your needs at the same time and so doing ultimately the what feels best and that changes and I think that's a big part of my message throughout all the things that I do is it is about kind of honoring and listening to not only your internal kind of cycles and seasons so your body and your physical kind of energy levels but also looking at the seasons around you and giving yourself permission to lean into what feels right in that given moment so if it's winter maybe you do want to just sleep a bit more and you're not so creative or you're not so sociable and just accept that and be gentle with it and I think what happens at least what I find is that we tend to override our intuition we override our body's kind of subtle messages and we push through and we push through and we push through and then we end up getting ill on some level it might just be like a permanent cold it might be regular headaches it could be the anxiety like it's really different for different people but Mm. and it just keeps kind of progressing until actually at some point we have to take a step back and go do you know what this isn't working this isn't sustainable for me as empaths i really do think it's our kind of mission (laughs) as it were to find a sustainable way and then like bring it to everyone else because i feel like what is true for us is true for other people just on a slightly different level or in a different way so i'm talking from my lived experience you know living seasonally is important for everyone it's not just highly sensitive people who need to listen to the seasons i think all living breathing human beings would benefit from living more intuitively and in line with the way that we've kind of evolved over all these millennia (laughs) yeah i really do wonder sometimes if we could have a time machine and go back to when we were all around the fire and it took a village to raise a child and we could go back to that time and bring someone back with us what they would think about how society has evolved because it is a stark contrast from where we started and as you were talking about you know our mission as empaths to find a way of doing things that works for us it's really strange because in the last couple of years i've only just realized that you don't have to end the day depleted there's another way of doing things i think we think that We've got to get all the things done and our to-do lists are more important and we need to go to bed exhausted, having done all those things, also realising that there's a whole bunch we probably didn't do because we're not super women as much as we'd like to think we are. And that's been kind of a radical, yeah, a radical realisation for me in terms of there is another way of doing things and I think we thrive so much more when we take good care of ourselves, but it's so, it seems so counterintuitive to what society says, but intuitively, I think there's a, there's a bit of us that always knows when to stop. And I think when we start getting ill, that's when our body kinds of interrupts and it's like, okay, you didn't listen to my first early warning symptoms. Now I'm just going to put the brakes on and burnout happens. Yeah. Which is why one of my favorite quotes is that the body whispers before it screams no idea who it's by but I heard it in a yoga class once it has stuck with me over all these years because I just think it's so true and as someone who used to hit burnout quite regularly it's just so important to listen to those initial whispers and get to a point where you know yourself and you know the warning signs and you you know the habits to watch out for and it's so different for different people, but it could just be like, oh, you know, you don't, sh- you stop showering as regularly or, you know, you're not eating as well as you not, might normally do. But we're so busy 
with our to-do lists it all comes back to that creating that space to check in with yourself and kind of with your feet flat on the ground as well whether you're sitting or you're standing it's really rooting yourself in a spot calming your breath quieting your mind and listening you don't have to like meditate in the strict sense i'm not always the best <laughs> at having a meditation routine it comes and goes but i think more important than any kind of label for what you're doing is just sitting quietly with yourself i love that and i love that quote the body whispers before it screams yeah no. so true i see self-care and self-love as a political act in a world that is trying to prescribe you everything to lose weight to have better skin to have darker skin to have lighter skin to um have a smaller ass have a bigger ass like literally like nothing is okay like there's <laughs> there is a problem yeah. with anything because ultimately any problem can be commodified and turned into something that people people buy it's like i'm not against buying and selling things clearly but my point in all of this is that it's constantly preying on people's insecurities yeah to sell them something that they might not need and doing so in a way that's quite manipulative. It's like people will just love you so much more if your life will be so much more fun if, you know? When did eyelashes suddenly become a thing? Like it's up to people what they want to wear. But it's just the fact that societal norms and standards, the pressure coming from them is increasing on like really like all aspects of our lives to the point where I'm just like oh maybe I do need to get my eyebrows waxed maybe I need to get them tinted I think the point in all of this is that just being you just showing up as you flabby bits bony bits moly bits whatever isn't okay that's the message isn't it ultimately It's being able to choose things for ourselves based on what we want to do as opposed to what is expected of us. I couldn't have said it better myself. It is loving yourself. And some days, let's face it, it doesn't look like being like, oh, hello world, I love myself. Some days it's like, "Mm, I suppose I'm all right. You know, self-love looks very, very different every day. I think to the world at large, it is intimidating when somebody accepts themselves for who they are and doesn't feel the need to be fixed. With self-love, I mean, I like it as a term because I think as humans, we, we do like some labels and boxes because it just helps our brains process stuff. It helps me know what you're talking about when you say it to some extent, because obviously it is so subjective and everyone has their own kind of um, view of what it actually means, but we're in the same park at least. <laughs> but it's true. And the word love is a very strong word, mm. like in circle with people or if I'm in coaching, I acknowledge that. it's not about just looking in the mirror and being like I love you you're amazing yeah one that will probably feel quite disingenuous Mm. two it's quite a lot to go from I think you're a bit of a loser to I love you (laughs) 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 let's face it that's the reality for a lot of people starting out on the journey of kind of being kind of themselves and liking themselves it's actually that voice in your head is it's quite can be quite strong thankfully mine's less so these days but i definitely remember it from days past but this is another reason why i talk about listening to your cycles as well because i know for me that voice in my head it's much louder when i'm hormonal 
So for example, I was in Zumba the other day. I wore tight pink lycra. Who knows oh. why? <laughs> I'd eaten wheat bix I felt really bloated. And there was like mirrors everywhere. <laughs> and my voice in my head wouldn't shut up. And I was just like, I'm just hormonal. It's okay. I'm just hormonal. You are perfect as you are. I'm trying to do Zumba at the same time. But by song three, I had to go cry in the toilets because the voice was just so powerful. But I also acknowledged that it, in that moment, it was, it was hormones. Like, and, it, and it was pretty much purely driven by hormones. And I just wish I had known that and really um, internalized that as a teenager. Because as a teenager, I didn't know that. I just thought every single month that life was really shit. I couldn't see a light at the end of the tunnel. I really didn't like myself. I felt like a failure. And, but I really believed the thoughts. Like I really took, held that as my truth, as opposed to just almost like a weather phase I was going through and that that just weather is going to hit me every month, but you know, it will pass, eat the chocolate, watch the film, have a cry over Grey's Anatomy you're going to be okay next week. I just wish I had had that knowledge and wisdom back then because it would have saved me a lot of emotional turmoil, pain. That's kind of like the the the, the kind of the messy real side of self-love because there is the fluffy side of self-love. And I don't think there's anything wrong with fluffy either. I think, again, like it's really important to hold space for everyone's individual truths. I know that there is no one universal truth for anyone, right? Yeah. Um, and often when we feel judgment towards another, it's, it, it can be something that's actually within us that is making us uncomfortable. It's reflecting something. Yes, it's the fluffy side of self-love. And of course, that's the easiest stuff to sell as well. What is less comfortable and what is more vulnerable is talking about the flip, the other parts of self-love, which is the, the boundaries, the saying no to people, the side that, that of self-love that is cutting people out of your lives. Because actually, you know, that friendship just isn't the same anymore. And the dynamic has changed and just doesn't fill you up anymore. You're not really filling up them anymore. It's just not, the spark has gone. And the thing is, it's so much, I don't know, there's something about romantic love where we can kind of, we acknowledge that, that breakups happen friendship breakups are almost so much harder <laughs> I was just gonna say because it is almost like being like I don't want you in my life because it, it is so much more brutal in a way it's a weird one though isn't it because yeah. we do acknowledge it with romantic relationships so, but why do we feel with friendships that they need to be evergreen that's very true you know I'm a big believer of the season a reason or a lifetime saying Again, I don't know where that stems from. It kind of feels like a, just like a common thing now that people say. What is that saying? Well, I think it's like people come into your life for a reason, a season or a lifetime. Ah, I've not heard the season bit of it. I love that. Yeah. And so, and that really holds true for me. Personally, I don't, I do obviously love the people who are close to me, but I always think the people who are meant to be in my life, if I don't see them for two years, like we will, when we do see each other, it will be kind of the same because those the inter the values the core values are there mm. the trust is there the love is there the respect is there it is not rooted in something shallow it's almost like with those houses that are built in flood areas where they're on like the sticks you know 
Yeah. Good friendships. It's like, it goes down deep mm. and you, you're not attention seeking or that it's not demanding on your energy. It doesn't deplete you. You're not like, Oh my God, if I don't message this person, they're going to be so upset with me. Yeah. Other people come into our lives as teachers. Mm, I and, love that. And sometimes that's quite messy. So let's say if someone comes into my life and I find them really irritating or they're really pushing my boundaries, for example, I do ask myself, okay, so what is this, what is this person teaching me in this moment? Why are they here? To kind of illuminate for me personally, though I choose to look at things through a lens that helps me make understanding of the world. That makes complete sense. I think it's also, like you said, it's that reframing, but for me, it is definitely remembering to do the reframing because I don't know about you. I find friendship really difficult as an empath. It is a real kind of the work of a lifetime. It's putting boundaries in place, protecting ourselves and not bringing everybody along for the ride, even if they treat us like shit. No, I just, I let them go. I let them go. I just, and for me, I find that naturally things just simmer away. Yeah. And the people left are the ones I'm really close with, but Mm. yeah it's an interesting one the boundaries it's a hard one because I also hate conflict so I would almost rather disappear yeah I know that's not a and I probably regret sharing all of this but you know what it is it is the truth for me I find it a lot easier to disappear from people's lives and actually have that hard conversation of actually I think we're growing apart and I don't think we necessarily serve each other because I find those conversations incredibly difficult and I know it's work to do with my own boundaries in a world where kind of we're always talking about people ghosting people on like tinder and stuff it it makes me feel like an awful human being but I'm starting to realize and maybe I might feel really differently about this in the future that part of it for me is maybe that's part of my own boundary setting and perhaps that's what self-protection looks like for me because I know with the people that that has happened to it is definitely a case of a conversation would have been pointless you know there's only so much you can go around in circles with some people knowing that you're not going to get anywhere and knowing that they're never going to accept that you don't necessarily want to be part of their lives anymore yeah I don't know I'm just talking about it makes me feel like an awful person but hey that that is you know that is how I found it with me okay well just out of interest though what about it make what what about it is awful I don't know. I love the questions you asked, Lisa. You really, really dig deep and I love that about you. Um, I don't know. For me, I think I think it's the whole empath thing of being on the other side of things and me empathising too much about how they would be feeling about a situation mm-hmm. and putting myself in their shoes. But I also know that I hate conflict. You know this about me. And I would never tear anybody down for the point of just saying I don't want you to be in my life anymore. That's not fair. I've got my own truths. They've got their own truths. And I'd, I can't put my finger on what it is. But in a society where we're always supposed to be switched on, we've got red receipts for messages, we're always supposed to be instantly available. I think it is part of that guilt thing that we all internalize. And I think sometimes the kindest thing is to say nothing at all. Maybe. I was going to say, like, if you could see me, my face is like completely beaming despite the topic because all I can hear is Megan Trainer in my head just going, My name is no, my style is no, my number is no. You need to let it go. You need to let it go. And I'm just like, No. It's like the boundary song, right? Just like, No. Anyone who's really going to put that much demand on you as a human, A, it feels like they're an energy vampire. Yeah. It feels like there's an imbalance of power. There's just something kind of off in it all to me when people are feeling guilty 
for say for like for honoring their what they need because you're like, and I agree with you about the saying nothing as well like that that might be a kinder way to do it but it just feels like to me like an intuitive person would just get the sign right yeah thank um, you and I love how much further down the road you are on this but like we moved a lot relatively speaking for a young person in terms of having to make new social groups yeah I think I felt hard done by by having to move schools a lot yeah because it is hard to fit in as a child let alone if you're having to constantly be the new person yeah I can imagine yeah particularly when your mum's like this youngish (laughs) semi-radical feminist (laughs) (laughs) oh but it was the 80s 90s so it was okay (laughs) but um now looking back and this was prompted by an exercise I did as part of kind of like the free range humans, which is Marianne Campbell. So for those listeners, I shall pop a link in the show notes, but she wrote a book called how to be a free range human. One of her famous quotes is weaknesses are just strengths in the wrong environment. Oh, I love that. And so one of the exercises is to list down all the things that you see as a weakness and then find a situation where actually that's a strength. So for example, someone might see themselves as like, quite scatty unable to focus but then doing this exercise you go okay so I find it really hard to focus I'm a bit scatty where's that good brainstorming amazing (laughs) like coming up with ideas like being able to flit is a really big strength because not everyone is able to just switch from one thing to another like that and that was a game changer I bet with the school thing my story was Oh, I always had to change schools as a kid. I never fit in. I feel lost because of it. And then actually I looked back and I thought, yeah, but a side effect of me continually moving schools and having to make friends with new people was that I was actually really flexible and adaptable as a human. And growing up, that meant that when I then went off to teach English in Russia on my own, it didn't really phase me. It just felt normal. So now something that I once saw as like a this kind of bad thing that had the bad influence on my childhood I actually am really grateful for and that sounds like a great exercise to do for all of your listeners mm-hmm. mm. yes definitely thank you Meg <laughs> <laughs> do you know what like, let's do a side note here because <laughs> we've tried to find a different way of talking about things because there is masculine energy and feminine energy and I do kind of inherently believe in that as a as an easy way to label right because it's just like yin and yang like it's it's been around for centuries just using like yin and yang so then a friend and i we thought well can we use like sun and moon energy (laughs) because you know sun it's like that and then the moon is that i mean that's still kind of understood as the sun is masculine and the moon is feminine i had no idea about that so much of our historic understanding of the world is binary rightly or wrongly and I, I i still my brain still isn't quite able to stretch like it's able to stretch in the everyday like now but linguistically mm. and i am a linguist it's interesting mm. how does that fit in and i feel like it fits in in terms of modern day society and how that's kind of almost been created binary like mm. humans have created these rules like why can women wear trousers but men can't wear dresses like what, what the hell is that yeah because at one point, men, women couldn't wear trousers, and it was really frowned upon to, for a woman to ride a horse, not sides at all. Mm. And pink started off as being a typically masculine colour. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It was for boys. Yeah. And I don't know, it was rebranded or something. <laughs> I, don't <know. laughs> I 
<laughs> no idea what happened there. So Meg, I think something that I'm interested in, and I think would be beneficial for the listeners out there, is to know like what was life like before you created that hummingbird life? And did you always have this sense that there was some kind of bigger mission for you in life? Mm, good question. Yeah, I think I've always grown up with a with a deep sense of knowing that I was meant to do something big. The arrogant side of that, like I definitely have kind of mixed feelings about that because I'm aware that sometimes it can come across as like, who did she think she is? But again, that's the kind of gremlin that sits on our shoulder. I grew up as a writer, as a person who stopped writing because the pressure was too much. And I remember back in school, I mean, like my year 10 English speaking project, everybody, we had to do a debate, had to choose one side of a debate. And I did my year 10 project on sex trafficking of children. I've always been looking at the bigger picture of society. And for some reason, and I don't think I can put my finger on why, I've always grown up with a sense of responsibility to change things a sense of how as human beings can we make this a better world for everybody Mm -hmm. and subsequently that's been a part of me that I definitely loved but also I can see how I massively kind of wore the world on my shoulders Mm -hmm. I think as a young person I felt a huge sense of responsibility that I'd kind of given myself I really don't know where it had come from my needs were definitely last on the table you know I did my university degree while doing three part-time courses, having a job and volunteering and having an internship. I mean, I don't know how I did it. And I don't say that with a source of kind of, look at me, how wonderful I was. I think sometimes we can look back and see that sometimes we're so distracted running from ourselves that we don't give ourselves space to look at the context of our lives and what we could be doing. I think some of it can be a distraction, but there definitely came a point in my life. My, My dream was to work in a feminist organization, start my own feminist organization. And in my early 20s, I did work in the kind of feminist organization of my dreams and burnt out really quickly when I realized that the idea in my head didn't match what the reality was. And I think there's only so much time that we can fill our lives with busyness and run from ourselves and try and solve everything until we come crashing down. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. Looking back with the sense of perspective, though, I can realize it's the best thing that mm-hmm. ever happened because I think with a lot of kind of big life changes, I mean, especially in terms of if you look at quarter life crises and midlife crises and burnout, at the time, it feels like the world is crumbling down. But sometimes I think, and I, I'm not meaning here in terms of, I just want to kind of put a disclaimer, I don't mean in terms of great tragedies when you lose someone or something really tragic happens. I just mean in terms of, from a personal development angle, sometimes things need to come crashing down in order for you to look around and look what is left from the rubble and how you build yourself, knowing that you can build yourself up using the skills you already have and the gifts you already have, but in a way that serves you as well. It goes back to the empath thing, giving all of me and not really giving a damn about what that effect was on me. I think it was a massive catalyst for me to realize that actually, if I want to serve the world on a deep level, if I want to serve people, if I want to be of some kind of help or of service, I need to do it in a way that fulfills me at the same time because I cannot live my life completely drained and just moving from burnout to burnout. So that Hammerbird life started as a kind of result of that. It started as a definitely a self-care blog as somebody who had no idea what self-care meant at the time. So just sharing my experience and my journey with that. Mm -hmm. And I think I really thought that I started it as 
I thought I was going to kind of coach women in the NGO and nonprofit world to take better care of themselves. And it's been really exciting to see it grow with me. Yeah, and move from that kind of specific arena to a much more kind of wider mission. I, I was a massive, massive feminist activist. And for many years after I kind of left that world, I had so much grief in terms of a loss of my identity and it's seemingly ridiculous as even any kind of mention of International Women's Day I would just it would upset me so much because I'd think well that was who I am I feel so disillusioned now I've lost all of my passions and it has taken me a while again it goes back to the whole reframe thing that the work I do now in terms of cheering women on encouraging women to own who they are and own their stories live their stories share their stories and just be unapologetically themselves is activism under a kind of different branch of the same tree but in a way that doesn't deplete me at the end of the day and instead lights my fire because for me there's nothing quite like working with people and see them putting their visions in the world and helping people who've been on a similar journey in a way that's the kind of long rambling answer to your question thank you so much for sharing that because i think it's a really important thing to acknowledge as empaths and highly sensitive people we do feel things deeply and we do i think on the whole i've yet to meet an empath who doesn't really want to make a difference in some way even if it's just to help people feel good yeah and that is a weight but it's remembering that there are so many different ways that we can show up and create that difference without giving all of ourselves and making ourselves sick because I think that too often that is the path that people go down yeah and and they just give and they give and they give and there's nothing left for them and the problem with that is that if we say that we want a world where women or people are choosing themselves on a daily basis they are doing things that light them up well that is at odds with the world that we are creating where we are depleting ourselves to serve others like yeah. they fundamentally aren't the same world so yeah. at some point we need to step in to our own visions mm. and start like it does start at home with ourselves like I really feel like this is such an important piece and it's often the hardest piece it's so easy to do things to put a smile on other people's faces and I don't say that lightly like to Mm. um to take away the impact and the importance of helping other people serving other people but what I mean is it it does feel sometimes a lot easier than actually turning the spotlight on ourselves Mm. and having to do the work of undoing a lot of learnt behaviors programming conditioning and you know life is messy humans are messy we would love to put a little ourselves into like these boxes and put a little bow on it and be like oh look i've got it all figured out but we don't we're never gonna get it all figured out like life would be dull if we did figure it all out. We yeah. are part of nature and nature is messy and non-linear and seasonal. And sometimes things are flourishing and other times, you know, the leaves are falling and the earth is dry um, and we're waiting for the rain to come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think so much of it is about also detaching from our ego in terms of when we're so busy and we're 
doing everything to distract ourselves ultimately from looking at who we are and what lights us up because we feel that selfish it is so easy to be like oh, i'm so busy and as a society we glorify busyness you know it is such a kind of ego thing of actually being step being able to step away from that and think what i do doesn't translate to who i am going back to exactly what we said at the beginning of our conversation I am worthy of love. I am good enough as I am, regardless of what I do as a human. Exactly. And I, I think the point there is with the busyness and the to-do list is <laughs> I feel like there is the underlying fear under all of that, though, that if you free up that space and you create that space for yourself in your life, what are you going to find? Mm. Because if there's one thing that I often hear from people is the minute they give, they kind of stop numbing. So they give up the alcohol or they stop kind of emotionally eating or just they give up a particular kind of vice. Yeah. Suddenly all this stuff that they've kind of just been tuning out starts coming in and often it is another layer of shit. <laughs> yeah. It is scary to look at ourselves with everything taken away. As someone who has worked in mental health, who has had my own kind of um, relationship with mental health difficulties, I'd say, particularly growing up, I don't want to give off the impression that, you know, if you just live seasonally and you listen to your body, that everything's going to be amazing. Like, I really feel very strongly about permanent positivity, that it is unhealthy mm. for us. It's an unhealthy expectation. What often happens is, like, people start actually criticizing themselves for not loving themselves enough, like, which is a whole, like, twisted layer of yeah. BS. It's just, like, again, it's the never enough piece. If you're listening to this and you feel like you're at a point in your life where you feel like you are ready to change things, I think the first thing is it's really important to think about what are the conditions that you need to make changes in your life in a way that is authentic for you and resonates and in a way that is um, supports your well-being because it's all good to have this intention to be like, yeah, no, I'm just going to, I'm going to stop drinking and my life is going to be amazing, but there is a ripple effect on that certain friendships might not stand up anymore <laughs> yeah you might find that you've actually got this this like negative thought pattern going on underneath all that that you just haven't been hearing for a while all sorts of things can come up and if there isn't the support in place for you that could be a bit of a shit show this isn't just like productivity tips <laughs> you know what i mean or like how to get fitter not that there's anything wrong with that, but I feel like it is the deeper, the soul stuff, the like having to face the part of you that is terrified of something, the parts of you that have experienced things that maybe you haven't mentioned to other people. You know, it's kind of those corners that you're scared to go into because we all have these shadowy areas. Some are scarier than others. You know, some people have not so scary corners. Other people have some terrifying corners. What things do you need to take with you to kind of have, to kind of deal with this stuff? What does your light bulb need to comprise of to look into those corners? Yeah, exactly. And do you need to take backup? Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Or do you need to phone a friend? Do you need to, like, yeah. you know, it's really important to like, to think of these things and not put so much pressure on yourself yeah. to just be there yesterday because it yeah. could take a couple months. It could take years yeah. Like there is no timeline 
on human emotion. Absolutely. And I think one of the most helpful things for me has definitely been realizing that everybody has their shadows, everybody has their corners and you're not on your own. All of our corners might look differently. They might have different shaped cobwebs, but we all have them. I think on the topic of shadow, like I always feel really strongly, at least for me, that our shadow parts of ourselves, our shadow sides, they are not inherently bad. And I do, what I do see is that people, they kind of fight that part of themselves. They go, well, oh, I, you know, I, they'll really celebrate the part of themselves that's like sociable or really good at art, you know? But, and then they are very critical of, of the other parts of themselves. Mm. And this causes a real internal war. It causes division. And what, you know, that's disharmony ultimately. And that's kind of then kind of like a chaos. And how can we thrive when we have this internal battle going on? So I do feel really strongly that when it comes to this stuff, yes, uh, kind of examine your shadow side kind of kind of with awareness and in a way that is safe and that is supports your well-being. But also know that those parts of you are there for a reason too. And ultimately, they also want to keep you safe. They also love you. And they are probably quite scared, some of them. They'll be different ages, probably. They'll come from different experiences. But they are just as a valid part of you. And it's almost like, well, what do they need in order to maybe to fade, to integrate, what do they need to feel peace themselves? Like, what do they need to hear from you, experience, to know, to feel at peace? And I think that is the reality of it, isn't it? I think, I know we talked a lot about this when you were on Courage Makers in terms of this, this whole forced positivity and be positive all the time. We have to have the conversations about the reality of life. We can't just pretend that everything is easy, that life can have a nice little bow on it and it could all be perfect. Mm-hmm. you know and I think it can be so tempting to buy into that I completely see why it's an industry in itself I can see why it makes money I can just see why but it is so manipulative and I think it gets people when they're most vulnerable because life is this really really messy thing and as empaths it can be really tempting to shy away from the reality because we take on so much and so much of our energy just gets drained away but we have to acknowledge what is real life and the actual very real life consequences of what happens when you do take on too much. And it goes back to what we were saying about that vision, about a world where people are thriving, where people are choosing themselves every day, where kindness and authenticity and creativity are kind of like at the heart of things. Well, then we have to look in the mirror and ask, how am I practicing kindness towards myself? How am I practicing compassion? you know, how am I allowing myself to thrive? Mm. Because if we all did that, that would be massive. Because when I give myself permission to shine, to rest, to be a mess, to go out without brushing my hair, I give you permission to do the same. And sometimes that is what's needed. Yeah. Permission to be imperfect. And there is that really fine line between living in the moment, being here now and being present and acknowledging that this moment isn't a guaranteed lifetime, making decisions that you know are right for you and that you're not putting your happiness off until then, you know, like when the kids have left, then I'll be able to like follow my dream. When I retire. 
yeah yeah or like you know once the house has been decorated then I'll have a bit of time to think about myself like whatever the when then is we all have them we all have when then situations and I invite listeners to think like to spot themselves and to notice when they start thinking like when then equally I invite listeners to think about the language that they use towards themselves and how does that language reflect the world that they want to live in yeah and I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier Lisa in terms of the take it taking a while because a lot of this work is undoing a lifetime of patterns and habits and it's okay that it takes a little while you know it doesn't change overnight and it's about noticing the small changes like maybe you start realizing oh, okay I just called myself stupid again maybe that is that is enough right now just the act of noticing maybe you don't need to kind of march in and challenge it right now maybe that comes next week or next month but the act of noticing when these patterns arise I think people underestimate they're huge they are huge and I always imagine it like a like a kind of like a phone like a mobile or a computer when you've got all these tabs open (laughs) you've forgotten about like tab 45 that you've opened a month ago it's just like there (laughs) taking up some energy (laughs) yeah you're not aware of it because you're only focused on like the first couple tabs and I feel like that's often really true and we just forget how much certain things it might be relationships might be a thought are really just chipping away chipping away chipping Mm. away and just have this feeling of something being a bit off and you're not quite sure what and then you'll like have that moment like oh right yeah Mm. you create force one way you get pushback it's just how it works instead you could have something gentle so like i always encourage people to think like what is a gentle statement that you could say every time you hear yourself saying something negative what could you say instead that feels good for you i have absolutely loved this conversation with you meg me too i want i want to do a metaphor count to see <laughs> it'd be so interesting look at that like we've talked about rose bushes and trees i love it and then I heard you say, I really want a metaphor camp. And I'm like, what would that be? Would that be like a load of us coming together and just coming up with amazing metaphors for life? <gasps> that would be my perfect retreat. I know. Oh. A reminder to everybody listening at home that sustainability, your methods of sustainability only have to make sense to you. Quite frankly, excuse the language, but what the marketing coaches say, stuff all of the blueprints, sustainability has to make sense to you. It doesn't have to be logical. It doesn't have to be rational. It just has to be something where you're not depleted at the end of the day and it feels good. Exactly. I couldn't have said it better, Meg, because ultimately this podcast, it's not just for people who have businesses or side hustles. Mm. Although I do think increasingly that is the way people are going, particularly empaths and and women too, because it, it does create a very flexible option. It is for anyone who wants to thrive in their own life thrive like it's for anyone who wants to create a life that feels good for them and is sustainable and helps them to thrive because there is no one kind of size fits all in this and that that really is so key for me is it's so tempting to create a blueprint it really is because we love them as humans so when i talk about the freedom within I talk about the freedom within because I know that once we feel grounded and rooted within ourselves, once we have a clear channel to our own intuition and our own kind of our needs, our body rhythms, 
that's a game changer because we start to make decisions in our wider life that are resonant and that are authentic and that that work for us and not against us and that's where we get the harmony piece that's when we start to really thrive and that's when we start to really put roots down in our own lives rather than becoming this like willow tree that's just like swaying backwards and forwards and always in that mode of reacting rather than consciously taking kind of inspired action let's nourish each other rather than diminish each other and I have so much so much I can't even put it into words love and admiration for the work you do because as empaths and highly sensitive people we seriously need this space so thank you for creating this space it is magical truly thank you you're welcome I want to ask you a series of quick fire questions so firstly what are you most grateful for right now I'm grateful for being able to see the sun outside my window and how good that makes me feel. What is one of your favourite ways to practice self-care? Reading a book. I think it engages, it's like a bit like a holiday for the brain. For me, I find Netflix is a good holiday for the brain, but you also, it gives you capacity to still think about things and doesn't feel very nourishing. For me, reading a book just fills me up like nothing else and taking a walk. Which is perfect. Because my next question is, name a book that has transformed your life. Oh, The Curse of Lovely by Jackie Marsden. It's all about letting go of the expectations of others and all about setting boundaries. And I remember I read it in the bath when I first went out and it changed my life. You're stranded on an island or your basic needs are covered. So food, water, loved ones. What two or three luxury items would you take with you? I think it would have to be. I'm going to cheat a bit, okay? Mm-hmm. A book. No, a Kindle loaded with a thousand books I want to read. A never-ending notebook that comes with a pen. Ah, see what I did there. It comes mm-hmm. with a pen in the cover so it doesn't use my third item. And a loudspeaker. Okay, so funny. Who inspires you? Okay, I love that you didn't say one person because I couldn't possibly pick I'm going to make this quick though my parents are my biggest inspiration their kindness their compassion and they teach me things every day and I love them and the wisdom they share so my parents second one would have to be Macklemore in his early days because of his resilience how he does things so independent how deep his music is And just him as a person, he inspires me in every possible way. And then my group of inspirational women, so that would be Dolly Parton, Oprah, Maya Angelou, Kesha, JK Rowling. All of those women mean so much to me and I look to them for inspiration. So that that in a nutshell would be it. Thank you so much. For the listeners, what one thing would you like to share with them? What would you have them know? That you're enough exactly as you are. You don't need to write that book, do that TED talk. You don't need to be further along. You don't need to go back and change any things you've done. In this moment, exactly as you are, you are enough. Thank you. That's amazing. Such a perfect note to finish on. So for the listeners at home, if they want to learn more about Meg Kissack and any of your projects, be it That Hummingbird Life or your podcast, The Courage Makers, 
where can they find you what can they do oh i love this question so um my home for all of my work is thathummingbirdlife.com and on there you'll find the coach makers podcast and also a little box that you can sign up to receive my sunday pep talks which i love writing every week and also i'm doing a year of curiosity where i'm really getting the coach makers community together on instagram every day thank you and for those at home who won't read the show notes what is your handle on instagram it is at that hummingbird life thank you so much i have so enjoyed our conversation today and i just know that more of these conversations are needed and i encourage listeners as well like if you took something away from today's episode like let me know what your biggest takeaway was i'd absolutely love to hear from you but also start these conversations with your friends like ask them some of the questions that you found powerful for you thank you for listening to the brave hearts rising podcast i really hope you enjoyed today's episode For more information about the topics discussed and links mentioned, please go to www.lisapasco.com forward slash brave hearts rising. And as always, I would love to hear from you. So if you have any feedback, comments or questions, please do email me over at lisa at lisapasco.com. As always, be kind to yourself and have a wonderful week. Bye.